Previously on Gigdamin Pause. I'm waiting for the day when we will have this European Science Fiction Award at the Worldcon. When we will have an African Science Fiction Award like the NOMO at the Worldcon. When we will have the Seyun Award at the Worldcon. When we will have the Geffen Award at the Worldcon. And I can go on, the Ignotus, the Grand Prix de l'Imaginaire, the Kurds Laspiets. We we have so many national uh, science fiction awards, which are completely neglected. And we just talk about two, the Yuga yeah. and the Nebula. With all due respect, but if you have a work on, you have to celebrate the world. Today on Gigdemin Powers. So when I, when I studied at university, I studied architecture um, because I couldn't study like literature and creative writing. I was um, advised strongly against that. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna study something. I'm gonna study something that would satiate my creativity. And even during um, my undergrad studying anything, I was still writing. I was just, it was almost like my oxygen. I just couldn't live without it. If I went for so long without writing, you know, You are listening to Geekdom Empowers, the podcast about people empowered through their geekiness. Welcome back! My name is Guy Hasson and you are listening to Geekdom Empowers. Geekdom Empowers is the podcast that highlights creators and fans in the geek world who do not often get to be highlighted. It's these people, it's us, who make up almost all of the geek world by talking to each person, by hearing their stories. Geekdom in Pals creates a huge, giant, world-sized quilt of the geeks all around the world. Each person is a story and together we are one story, one huge geekverse quilt. Today's guest is Tlotlo Tsamas an upcoming science fiction and fantasy author from Botswana. She talks about her journey, her books and stories, and everything in between. It is the story of a person who does what she loves because she can't do otherwise. So let's listen. I think you are the first person in this podcast to have the same time time zone. <laughs> wow, that's nice. Same here. What is, uh, what is the weather like now in Oh, we're actually um, experiencing a heat wave. It's very, very hot. Yes. So it's like we're living in an oven. Over it's getting cooler and cooler by the day. Wow. Winter is coming. I envy you guys. So can you tell me a little bit about the books behind you? Oh, wow. Um, I read almost everything, nonfiction. I'm currently actually reading Gods of Jade and Shadow. I just finished Mexican Gothic. And I'm also reading Steer Glasson. So I don't know how to read just one book at yeah. once. Yeah. I know, I've a stack this high uh, near my bed, yes. Yeah, the joys of being a, a reader and a writer at the same time. Can you tell me about a little bit about your origin story? Where did you begin? As a writer? And I think uh, in as a writer, as a person who likes uh, the genre. Uh, um, well, I grew up um, in a village, villages called Palapinsuro, where they're quite um, close to each other. And I 
was a voracious reader. I read whatever was in the house. And typically, that was like your Western literature, your adult books like um, Danielle Steele's, um, and I forgot the other author, but that's all that I read. And I think I was lucky because the school that I went to was an English private school. And the teachers that we had today had these fun exercises to get us to read so many books. So in a week, for example, if you read like five or more books, you could get like sweets or something. But the thing is, you know, some students will probably like skim through the books, but I was like actually reading them. Um, and I also really loved film a lot, a lot especially horror. Um, I was addicted to ginger snaps when I was a kid. I couldn't even believe they let me watch ginger snaps. Um, well, so, I yeah, have to ask I, about that because like, that's the one thing I didn't connect to when I was a kid. Uh, the horror things, and I was afraid to show those things to my kids. Like, really? Uh, what's the experience? Like, does it give you nightmares? Does it like... Uh, um, you know what? It depends what horror. I wasn't scared of some horror, but I was obviously scared of Emily Rose, that possession one. I forgot the full title of it. And then the X-Files. Mm. I was terrified of the X-Files. Sure. But anything else that had like werewolves um, and vampires, it didn't scare me, you know? Um, anything that was gory that dealt with a general thing that the world over experiences it was like oh that's gonna actually happen at my house it's not gonna just happen like overseas you know because most of these stories are like um western european stories so yeah um so yeah i was also very interested in in um sci-fi uh and the thing is i initially actually wanted to be a film director and somehow as a kid i got in my head that was more difficult to be a film director than it was to be a writer because as a writer, you just had tools. So yeah, um, it was only in university when I was actually studying architecture. We had, um, so we were sponsored mostly in our country um, through government um, at the universities that we go to. So you get book allowance, you also get allowance for other stuff. And instead of using my book allowance for architectural books, <laughs> I went to the literature department and I was getting the books. So one time um, I came across uh, Haruki Murakami's Norwegian Rude would and I just fell in love with it and then I got I started reading more of his works and he deals with um magical realism soilist types of uh genres and everything so I was very interested in that genre and in, in the way that I was able to do certain things and then that's when I got introduced to Helen Oyeyemi and Gabriel Garcia Marquez and even now the, the movies that I was watching I started like wanting to watch more foreign films for like the cultural aspects and everything. Wait, and can you talk a little bit about, a little bit, a little bit more about them? So uh, after the first book that I read was um, Haruki Murakami's Norwegian Wood. Um, it's, he just has this um, way of turning ordinary things into extraordinary things. And then I started reading some of his other genres. Um, kind of, the, the, there's another novel of his that's called After the Dark. He tends to write in stylist ways, um, things that bend reality. And then I wanted to read more authors like that. Um, so I started searching around. I found Helen Oyeyemi. Um, um, I love, love her writers for witching. Some people hate it, but it's mm -hmm. such a beautiful book. And then obviously I also wanted to read from authors who um, had stories that are set in Africa. 
So the one that I, I literally like searched the internet so much to find like an author who genres I love. So then I came across them because um, Moxie Landon, Zoo City novels. And I guess like the works that you gravitate towards, you sort of like end up like writing in that genre because it's like you're looking for home. Um, so that's, that's when I started experimenting with, with, with my writing. And I mean, initially, like some of the ideas that I had, I just knew that it wouldn't be like a contemporary story. It'd be probably like sci-fi dystopian. And um, after I read Gabriel Garcia, my kids, A Hundred Years of Solitude, mm-hmm. the interesting thing I found about magical realism is you don't have to like explain the rules of everything. And there was one interview where um, the journalist was, was like asking him about what is magical realism. And he gave him a story about things that happen in where he where back at home, where he comes from. And he basically said to the journalist that these things to the world is like magical realism, but to us is like reality, you know? So even like, so, and, and I could sort of relate to that because we tend to have these stories that we hear from like our grandparents and our parents. And it's just like, wait, are you serious? Did that actually happen? <laughs> like that doesn't sound realistic, you know? So, um, and that's how I ended up like writing the science of the world and I was just like, I'm just gonna just write this and not think about the rules. And then that's that's what came of it, yeah. And I think it also connects to the whole because it, you can have things that are not possible; uh, they're allowed, you know, and they mm-hmm. don't have to be explained. They can be based on fears or hopes or, or you know anything. Exactly, yeah. So, but you also wanted to be uh, uh, a film director. Like, what kind of films would you do? Like, let's. Slip away to something that you um, sci-fi, um, horror, uh, magical realism. Some of the foreign films that I love. Uh, I'm trying to remember their names, but most are sort of like Korean. Um, I don't know if you've heard of The Wailing. It's a horror. You should you should watch it. It's, I think it's about two hours long, but it's worth every second. So. Um, yeah, I'll probably write about those types of, uh, of um, the, uh, sorry, of stories. And basically, I think the stories that I write would probably be um, the films would be close to that, you know? Yeah. All right. So what is, before we get to the next step, I want to ask, like, why did you, did you know you want to be a writer? Like, deep inside, you have to be a writer or did it just happen? Did you try to get to be to to get there? Um, well, I grew up as a very creative kid. Um, anything that I could do with my own hands, like build stuff or draw. Um, because like when I was in secondary school, I loved literature. I loved all the English classes. I was also in art. Um, and, you know, parents would obviously tell you like, okay, these are not the realistic courses like you need to do things like your sciences and maths and you know so you can get like um so you can study a program um that'll be able to get you like a good job and everything mm-hmm. so i think it just you know sometimes i just don't explain it's just like a thing that you just love um so when i when i studied at university i studied architecture um because i couldn't study like literature and creative writing 
I was um, advised strongly against that. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna study something. I'm gonna study something that would satiate my creativity. And even during um, my undergrad studying anything, I was still writing. I was just, it was almost like my oxygen. I just couldn't live without it. If I went for so long without writing, you know? Um, yeah. yeah, so, and then eventually after I graduated, I also worked at a newspaper, built environmental newspaper, where I wrote like um, architectural articles. And even then, you know, I was like, okay, it seems like this writing thing um, is becoming more and more serious, like in, in the sense of how much I love it. So what can I do about it, you know? And then that's when I started researching online. Of like, okay, you want to be a writer, what can you do? If you write a book, maybe you can create agents or you want to build your career, you can submit short stories to literary magazines. So um, that's when I started like writing short stories because we don't have a literary market in Botswana, the only place that I knew I could really explore my career as a writer was overseas. So I started writing short stories. Um, the first one that I submitted to was um, the Falcon, which has closed down since then. And then um, I started submitting to also Clark's World and RV Lambert's um, poetry anthology. Was this a short story anthology? I can't remember. And yeah, and then slowly it just started building up from there. And the thing is, I just wrote intense, just so many things because I, I don't know how many novels I actually ended up writing. That's how I started getting into it. I know a lot of people say that they start off with short stories to sort of like learn the craft. I sort of like longer work and work my way down to like how long? How long? Um, novels? Yeah. Like word counts? No, I mean, how, how long? How long were they? How many uh, pages or words? For the novels, I wrote like yeah. over 80,000 words. Okay. Yeah. So, and what I don't know the, what else. What, mm -hmm. what was the first uh, book about? What was the first novel about? Um, the first book was a young adult novel, and it, it was a fantasy, I think. And it had these creatures that came from a different world. And during the storms, they would come through the skies and they'll hunt people um, in our country and steal some of them and kidnap them to their world. I can't remember what they used those people for, but yeah. <laughs> and do you, how many years ago was this? Uh, maybe this was sometime during when I was studying architecture. So it was 10 years ago. I feel so old now. Yeah, close to actually, sorry, um, six to eight years ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So not not old yet. Like there's still old. You can be older than this. Yeah. Uh, true. Yeah. yeah. So right. um, yeah. Go ahead. So did did Clark's world and all those? Uh, how 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 long did it take till you, your stories got accepted? Um. Funnily enough. Um, when I was still in, grad, in undergrad school, uh, I initially wrote a novella which won a contest in our country. And then um, the short stories that I worked on got accepted into like Foghorn. So it surprisingly didn't take long with that. Um, but the funny thing is after that, then it started becoming more difficult. I think I was just like lucky um, mm -hmm. with the stories and just um, how experimented with them. 
But then after that, it was very, very difficult to write stories where um, the Tremigazines would accept them. I mean, most of the comments were maybe like the agents or editors, they couldn't connect with the material or the characters. You know, back in, back in those times, it was a bit more difficult. It wasn't as diverse as it is now, even though with the diversity, we still have issues with that. Yeah. But then um, there was just too much uh, policing and gatekeeping, and it was difficult to work in as a Black author, especially when you write about stories that are set in, in Africa. You know, so there was just that, that struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we talk about that a lot on the show. Um, so do, what was the uh, reader response to, like, to the stories in the beginning? If any, sometimes you just publish something and no one, you, you don't see anyone talking about it. Um, you know, funny enough, they loved the concept. They loved the voice and the words. Um, I think given the stories, they just tend to be a bit experimental, so it can draw some readers, and then some readers can sort of be like, what is that? It's just too foreign, too foreign to them. And for some, because it's set within a culture outside their own, um, they just really can't connect, you know? So they may probably hate the story based on that rather than actually um, how good the story is or the execution of yeah. it. No, it was, it was mixed, you know? But I mean, the editors that I dealt with, they just loved the stories and what they were doing. So you, at some point you feel like, okay, I guess I, I am doing something. You're able to see your strength and your weakness, you know? So then once I notice my strength and my weaknesses, I was like, okay, I need to see how I can fix my weaknesses. My weaknesses are mostly like plot inconsistencies, um, pacing issues, um, and bits of like world building. So that was a thing that I was just like working over the years and everything. Yeah. So I have I have uh, I have an ignorant question to ask. So uh, because I know very little about Botswana. So when you take from Botswana, do you take is it a Botswana history or is it a history of various tribes? Uh, or is it what? A history of specific tribes. Oh gosh, um, Botswana has many tribes. And um, so I tend to, depending on what story I'm writing from, it can be from like one tribe, one other tribe. And the thing about um, writing from Botswana, um, I try to put some sense of identity in terms of like the food that we eat, um, the clothes that maybe one character can, can wear, the language that they speak, the dialect, um, the music as well. And um, even like the architecture, traditional architecture in anyway, because we haven't yet advanced in that area. But yeah, there are just so many um, parts to pull from. And you know, um, sometimes it's it's sort of like a balancing act um, because the more that you introduce so many foreign things, um, some readers aren't able to actually flow well with the material. I've seen some authors really do that excellently by putting in even some of like the language and you know, and you're still able to follow as a reader. But yeah, so I pull from those areas. Yeah, it's uh it's a part if with the more you take that's from you know the surrounding life, the the harder it is to communicate to anyone who doesn't live it. Oh. So 
So if we talk about specific streets, about specific songs, about music, mm-hmm. about you know, the architecture of that building, it is yeah. hard to convey that to other people like who mm-hmm. don't know it. Uh, so how hard is that? Like, do you take that into account when you write? Yeah, I, I do. Because, I mean, normally when I write, um, I write in a way that I layer it. So in the beginning, it's like, okay, I'm trying to get the world. And so it's sort of like a skeletal template where it doesn't actually have those elements. Yeah. And then now the minute that you start layering that, it starts becoming a bit more complex. So um, sometimes it's, it's okay, depending on the length of the story. If it's like it's a novel, it's maybe a bit easier. You know, if it's like a short story, you sort of like have to watch that. Um, but short stories, I, I love the freedom that it allows you to experiment. It, it doesn't feel that much tough as, as in novels because um, the market for that is a, is a bit different. Yeah. Because the funny thing is, you know, when I'm reading other novels that are set in like the UK or the US, for example, um, you know, us who haven't been there, we are sort of like, we don't know when they, if they mention this street, we don't know anything about it. They mention this building. Yes, we may know some of the famous building, but some of these things have to drop like our own imaginations or I have to like research it, you know? So some readers that will come to like African literature and they'll be like, we don't know these things. And I'm like, but we didn't know something material for like decades and we're still related to your, you know, we still just went over that obstacle and enjoyed the story. So, um, yeah. Interesting. And is there an audience around you, like you write in English uh, to the English speaking world? So, you know, Cloudswood and DK and all of that, that's, uh, that's outside your country. Is there an audience inside your country? That. Um, you know what? From when I started, um, the literary scene was just non-existent. Um, it's just only within a couple of years that um, they've started actually a book festival, you know, where they actually invite authors from other countries, mostly like African authors. Um, and mostly they, they generally write, write um, in your literary fiction um, genres as opposed to like uh, sci-fi and um, horror speculative fiction. So the community is there. It's just it's it's very small as compared to outside. You know, even even the audience, I do feel like that. But you do have like your couple of authors who write within that genre, and obviously readers, you know, who read in that genre. Yeah. Okay. So so let's move forward in years, like. What is it like now? The publishing industry, yeah. No, for you. I mean, no, I mean, I'm, I'm in your story, in your journey. In Botswana. Um, <laughs> I really, it's it's not really a good experience. Like, my career is mostly set um, overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, here, you know, you, you don't get recognized because I write um, genre fiction. I'm not, like, a literary fiction author yeah. who writes it political stuff and everything so um they they don't tend to like recognize that the only community that i find is with, within like i think i know like maybe two or three authors here who write in that genre and that's it so you don't exactly have a whole here as opposed to like the community that i interact with 
online. You know, the audience is much, much stronger. We don't have anything similar to that on the ground. Mm-hmm. All right. And what is it like now outside of Swana uh, for you? It's, it's, actually, it's, it's actually great, you know, um, because I wouldn't be here if my work wasn't accepted um, overseas in pro literary magazine. Um, and even like uh, other platforms that are opening up to especially like African futurism materials, such as like the African futurism anthology that um, was released last year and the year's best, um, um, the year's best African speculative fiction offers me everything. So, you know, you're kind of seeing that people are now more open towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's great, um, but there's still obstacles, you yeah. know. Because like, you're able to, yeah. Like what? I want to ask. Um, well, for instance, you know, when you look at um, what other authors are getting as compared to you when you're living over here, you sort of like have to work a bit more harder to sort of like get the same things. Mm-hmm. You know, I still sometimes do get um, the comments because my story is a bit very experimental and even the themes and topics they deal with, it's so um, not tradition in terms of like some of the stories that are within that genre. So fitting in can be a, a bit difficult. Um, yeah, so those just those tiny things, but it's, it's a plus as well, you know, not to sound like I'm complaining too much about that, but yeah, yeah. Okay, and how do you see, how do you see yourself in the future? Like what's next for you? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, well, I've been writing so many short stories, so I would really love to like um, write many books. You know, I would love to get a lot of good book deals, film deals, everything. I'd love to be established as like great big authors in the industry so that um, I'm also able to really fully sustain myself in, in that manner. But not just even for myself, but to also get to a position, a point of position where I can fully help even other fellow authors because, you know, um, as much as I'm experiencing some of the difficulties I'm experiencing, I still have some privilege compared to some others because there are some who have given up or face much more um, obstacles and, you know, there's just so many talented uh, creators that I've met out there and they just stop because of these obstacles in that way. So I, w- I would love to be able to assist that because I find so many inspirations from um, many people in the industry who are doing that. Um, mm-hmm. like Christina Durado, Francesco Verso, um, and even Arvin Chauvet, Donald Fakey, like from all these various I interviewed both of them, yes. <laughs> on the show. You see? Yeah, like we it's it's like such a uh, almost like a small world because mm-hmm. we all interact in one way. So I get inspiration for from um all the works that they do, how they bring authors together, not just like from one culture, but from like all over the world, you know. Yeah. Can you like for read for listeners who do not know uh, your stories. Can you talk without spoilers about like some of the last things you wrote, just giving a little bit of a hint? Okay. Well, um, I have a couple of stories that uh, 
uh, forthcoming. Um, Dream Pods is coming out this December from uh, Apex magazine. And it's set in Botswana and um, it's sort of like a sci-fi world um, where there's this, these two women who um, have these devices called dream pods that basically allows people to exist in their dreams in a sort of like social media technology type, technology advanced world. And what they use those systems for is to sort of hack into people's like um, memories and minds and um, you know, they help um, couples who are going through divorces, for instance, to see what secrets they're hiding. Um, and also the character tends to loan her body to um, uh, people like overseas who are traveling. And the thing about the tourism industry, how maybe some overseas people travel to like Africa it's like to get that wild African experience. So there's a bit of a, a re- exploration of the system. Um, which is some elements in there. And at some point after she's loaned her body to, to, to this couple, she realizes um, the devastating effects of that. Um, yeah. Uh, and then there's another story, short story, um, we have Ignest, um, forthcoming um, next year from Cheryl Mad. Um, editor is Michael Bailey and Dennis Regal. And um, it's basically about an artist who uh, is getting ready for an exhibition but has run out of ideas. It's like when you have writer's blocks and you have a deadline and you just don't know what you can do. So he decides to um, go to a traditional, to a witch doctor and get a potion to sort of like uh, kidnap people with it so that he's able to mine stones from them to be able to create the sculptures and paintings. And yeah, that one doesn't also end well for him. Um, Healing Time Deluxe Edition is forthcoming from Tour.com in the Africanism Anthology. I think that one was, was the story that I really, really enjoy writing. Um, the editor actually said it's probably like one of my best writing. And uh, anyway, um, it's sort of like told in the structure of an album. Um, and he uses rap verses to tell the stories of two characters, the male and the female, and basically how the male um, uses this device to sort of um, uh, kidnap the subconscious of women and trap them in oppressive rap songs. And this female protagonist, um, she's a singer, actor in anything, and she decides to use those elements to sort of like rescue these women from the songs. So yeah, it's very, very experimental. Sounds really interesting and intriguing. Yeah. Uh, can, you, do you, uh, can you talk about like, what is the meaning of your name? Does it have a special meaning? Uh, my name, Coco, it just means respect. Respect. <laughs> yeah. And then um, my surname, um, from what I remember, apparently it has something to do with an animal. Um, I'm not sure if it's a cow. Someone did say it's a milk cow that produces milk. Yeah. Mm. So I, I haven't really gotten the full meaning of that one. <laughs> Is there anything else you want uh, uh, to say that we didn't cover? Um, no. Uh, well, there's nothing much I can say, but... Um, uh, thank you for inviting me. Um, 
I also love podcasts and, you know, getting to learn from creators that basically um, getting behind the scenes of how they do the stuff and how they think, you know, beyond like you get to meet the creator beyond the material that you need. So really love the work that podcasters do. Really love it. Yeah. Okay. And where can people find you? Uh, um, okay. So I have a website, protozamase.com. And then you can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at protozamase. Thank you so much to Tlotlo. The links to her website, Twitter, and Instagram are in the show notes. Check out the show notes. Now, next time, because there's always a next time, and the Geekverse quilt is endless. Next time, we discover that everything is tulip. Stick around for that. What did you think about this episode? Email me at guy.hasson at geekdominpowers.com. Hasson is spelled H-A-S-S-O-N. The website is geekdominpowers.com. On Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, we're at geekdominpowers. And if you want to check out my other podcast, a daily podcast called The Squash Buckler Diaries, it's an experiment in epic fantasy. It's a story built like no other. So feel free to check it out. The Squash Buckler Diaries. I will see you next time. And for now, have an empowered day.